1 Corinthians 14, five verses. Pursue love. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Let me pause for just a moment and pray. I, I want the Lord's touch on uh, my teaching and your, your hearing tonight. Lord, I don't want to do this without you. Even if I could, I wouldn't want to. I love your word. I love what this passage and these other verses mean to me, Lord. And I pray that what has brought life uh, just to my walk with you and the gifts of the Spirit, I pray, Lord, that it will bring life to the hungry. That this would not be a novelty doctrine for us to be curious about, but it would move from being word only to power. Lord, that we would be a biblically prophetic people, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays, but everywhere we go, that we would hear your voice and speak what you say, that those around us can know that we have a God who intervenes in the lives of men and women. So bless the teaching tonight. Bless the learning. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to give you my personal opinion. I'll try not to do that too much in this message, but let me give you my personal opinion. I think probably 30 years ago, in the American church, the most controversial of spiritual gifts, maybe even going back 40 years, was the gift of tongues. Um, with the renewal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in mainstream Christianity and the promotion of them in the 70s, um, the gift of tongues was really divisive and controversial. I, I am of the opinion that that controversy has moved off of the gift of tongues and now centers more squarely on the gift of prophecy. I believe it is the, the most misunderstood of the spiritual gifts. Now, we all know that spiritual gifts bring about a whole wealth of differing opinions by Christians who equally love the Lord. We don't judge people here based on where they stand on the gifts of the Spirit. As a church, we not only validate doctrinally the gifts of the Spirit, but we practice the gifts of the Spirit, but we do our very best to always do that within biblical guidelines and parameters. We are, we're not here to show off gifts of the Spirit. We're not looking to be, as Pastor Dustin calls it, uh, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey uh, Circus Church. That's not what we're trying to do. But at the same time, we believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and we don't believe it's an hors d'oeuvre. We believe it's actually a main part of what God is doing in the church because apart from the gifts of the Spirit, we can't accomplish the will of the Lord. And so we're all growing in this, and I, I, I'm just one who believes my Bible. 
Um, I was not groomed in charismatic or Pentecostal circles. I was raised in many denominations and then ultimately was born again and ended up in a Baptist church called Meadow Baptist Church, and that's where uh, I've spent my entire Christian life serving, worshiping, up until we became a Newbridge Church last year. And so I am not saying these things that I'm saying because somebody uh, regurgitated them into me and I'm just buying it hook, line, and sinker. I was a cessationist who did not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. For a short time, I preached against the gifts of the Spirit because that's what I was taught by those who mentored me and in Bible college until one day, and I don't mean this flippantly, I really just began to read my Bible. And I started seeing that the Scriptures didn't back up everything I was taught because most of what I was taught was never scripturally taught me. It was just injected into me by those who meant well, who I now see they were wrong on this topic. And so when I just let the scriptures speak to the gifts, just like I did, I wanted the scriptures to inform me about salvation, heaven, hell, sin, righteousness, creation, carnality, sexuality, all of those things. I wanted my Bible to teach me. And yet it was the gifts of the Spirit that somewhere along the line, I just said, well, we don't really need to read the Scriptures about that. Let's just believe what our denomination believes. And eventually I got convicted about that. I repented and I said, Lord, I need you to train me in these things. And after I was theologically convinced, about two years after, I gave my mind to the reality, the gifts are real. It was two years after that that I began to experience the power, the presence, and the flowing of those gifts in my own life in a time period where I really had no grid for it. And so my migration into affirming and practicing the gifts of the Spirit is unique to me, and I would never project that onto you, but I'm so grateful that the Lord convinced me theologically about the gifts before I ever had personal experience with them. And so one of the reasons I teach on the gifts of the Spirit is because, I, yeah, I want you to experience them. Paul did. Paul said, I want you all to speak in tongues, and I want you even more to prophesy. So I'm just aligning with the Apostle Paul. But I don't want you just to experience them. I want you to know why they are valid when other people in the kingdom of God who equally love Jesus would say these gifts no longer exist, and they're invalid, they're born of the flesh, or even worse at times, they're attributed to demonic activity. And so I'm going to teach you a little bit tonight and next Wednesday night if the Lord is willing. So let's just begin tonight and answer the question, what exactly is this gift of prophecy? What in the world is it? So we're going to go Old Testament and New Testament, and this is the one hope that I have before we leave tonight. I hope you leave tonight and are able to say, wow, I thought this about prophecy, and now I see that it's not, as, it's not an unbroken, seamless line from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, but this is a multifaceted gift. It is not a single unbroken line that goes from point A to point B, but it is a beautiful curved line that takes us into places where we probably assume that these gifts would not take us. So I'm going to start risking boredom here, and I'm going to give you a three-paragraph definition. It's a small paragraph, three sentences, but listen to me, and it's going to be up on your screen, and it's in your notes. When we're talking about prophecy as understood from Scripture, I'm going to read you this. Prophecy describes various forms of inspired utterance facilitated through God, revealing something to a believer, and that believer giving the human communication of what God is revealing. Prophecy includes, but is not limited to, preaching or the written words of recognized Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophecy was mainly predictive in nature. New Testament prophecy is mainly for edification of believers. At its core, all prophecy consists 
of God communicating specific messages through human instruments. Now, the reason why I gave you notes is because you would leave here and you'd never remember that. But for those of you that want to go over this again, you're going to have the notes in your hand. I'm going to give you a one-sentence summary. Simply put, the human report of a divine communication is what prophecy is. The human report of a divine communication. Prophecy, as you study scripture, and especially New Testament and the gift of prophecy, includes three parts. And this is uh, by way of application. This is not in your notes. First of all is the revelation. This is what God reveals. This is divine. It is perfect. There is no room for error in what God says. God always speaks truth. And that revelation is the divine aspect of the process of prophecy. God has something to say. God is communicating something. And so he reveals a prophetic word. The other two parts of the process of prophesying are human. The second one is this, the interpretation. So God gives the revelation, and then it is incumbent upon the believer to properly interpret what God is saying. Say, Jeff, where's the difficulty in that? Well, listen, God communicates revelation in many different ways, as you'll see in Scripture. Sometimes God spoke to people, just like I'm speaking to you now. It was an audible voice, and God would speak. That's the easiest purest form of revelation. But at other times, God would speak through signs, through wonders, through miracles, through symbolic acts. Sometimes he would speak through an angel. Other times he would give a vision. Sometimes he would put believers, both Old Testament and New Testament, into a trance and they would see images. And so God reveals, he's very creative. He didn't quit uh, doing creative things once the cosmos were formed. God is still creative. And so he will speak to us in many different ways ways. Now, this is very important. I'm going to answer this objection tonight, but we're going to focus on it more next week. Immediately, I was trained to say, wait a minute. If God, if you're saying, preacher, that God is still communicating, doesn't that violate what John wrote from the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter number 22, I believe verses 18, 19, where there was a curse pronounced on anybody who dared to add to the word of God? And I would say, amen, that's in the Bible, but the gift of prophecy does not violate that prohibition. We're not talking about prophecy being with equal authority, prophecy in our day being with equal authority to inscripturated prophecy. What we're saying is this, and I'm going to unpack this in a little bit. God reveals it, and it's perfect. Human instruments interpret it. In other words, we have to understand what's being revealed. And the third part is not revelation or interpretation, but application. What do we do with what we interpret from what God reveals? Now, all of that is kind of a lengthy unpacking simply to say this. We need to understand that most of us, when we think of prophets, typically we'll think of one of the big guys in the Old Testament. And we'll think of a written prophecy. And it's usually predictive in nature and pointing towards the future. And therefore, when we look at the gift of prophecy, we need to discipline our minds to understand that though it can resemble Old Testament prophecy, it's never going to carry the weight of the books of the Bible. The New Testament gift of prophecy cannot be equaled with written, preserved, inscripturated prophetic words. In other words, you don't get to write the book of Jeff, chapter number one. You just don't get to, or the book of whatever your name is. It doesn't work that way. And so immediately, this is what happens. 
we kind of have to open our hands and enter into a position of surrender and take on the mantle of a student, and we have to listen carefully, we have to read carefully, and we have to humble ourselves to recognize, okay, this has some complexity to it. We need to approach this thing soberly and wisely. And so that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. So let's move down into the second Roman numeral on our notes, and let's see this. There is a distinction between the office of prophet and those who simply exercised the ability to prophesy. First of all, you have the Old Testament writing prophets. Who are these guys? Guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and etc. These are individuals that God individually commissioned, and he commissioned them to speak on his behalf and only to speak what he communicated. He then inspired those words to be written down, and God preserved those prophecies as part of the Bible. I want you to know this word. It's a big $5 theological term, but it's very simple to understand. Say the word inscripturated with me. Ready? Inscripturated. Let's do that together. Inscripturated. That's just a word. It's a technical term. It's very easy. In scripture. In scripture. It is prophetic words that God gave And he included these in the canon of Scripture. And they are the books of your Bible. You have the minor prophets and you have the major prophets. So you've got these books of the Bible. And those books of the Bible carry the infallible, unequaled, undiluted authority of God. That means God gave those words. They were directly given to the men that wrote them down. And then God oversaw the process of preserving those words in Scripture. So when I read the book of Isaiah, I am reading the authoritative word of God in prophetic form. Same way with Daniel, Ezekiel, and Micah, and Nahum, and Amos, and all of those guys. And so when I am reading my Bible, I can receive the revelation of God and say, this is the authority of God. Still very important, though that I rightly interpret that prophecy and then rightly apply that interpretation. And so what this does is it forces us to become students of the Bible. Now, we're not going to argue about that, but here's the dilemma that I ran into. That was my only understanding of prophecy. My understanding of prophecy was, okay, it's, it's a guy with a crazy kind of a nappy beard and he's in the middle of the wilderness with a tattered robe and a cane and fire in his eyes and he's breathing out you know doomsday to come and that's all prophecy was to me that's what a lot of people think of they think of you know the doomsday forecast or Jesus is coming back repent you sinner oh the prophet has spoken and and so we get this kind of weird um, limited kind of vibe when we understand prophecy in that way but there's so much more to it Let's move into a New Testament paradigm. So let's look at this. The New Testament office of prophets. Let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. Acts chapter 13, and and Dustin and I are about to go through the book of Acts with the whole church. But in Acts chapter 13, we have this verse. Now there were in the church of Antioch, so a local gathering of believers, there were prophets... And teachers, and some of these are named, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So what we're seeing there is in the early church, without a whole lot of fanfare, without a whole lot of explanation, we're simply told this. In the early church, there were individuals who were carrying the office of prophet. And there are a lot of people, and again, we're going to deal with error as we go through this, because part of my job, part of my calling, is to deal with error as we, we approach it. And so I'll be doing that along the way. One of the teachings that I got 
And some of you may have received it too, especially if you were groomed in in, um, cessationist circles or Baptist circles. We were taught that basically the apostles and the prophets passed off the scene at the end of the first century. They no longer exist in the church because they laid the foundation of the church. Once the foundation of the church was laid, there was no need for them, and they were replaced by the pastors, teachers, and evangelists. There's only one problem with that teaching. The Bible never says that. The Bible never, ever says it. As a matter of fact, in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, look there in 11 and 12, the Bible speaking of Jesus says this, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And it will go on to say, until we come to that perfect maturity. And so we are actually taught in Scripture that Jesus Christ gives these gifted individuals to the church, and the purpose for these individuals being given to the church is that the body of Christ might be built up until we come to that perfect stature, until we we arrive. So I had to walk it backwards, and I had to say, okay, if Jesus gave them to the church, I need to slow down real fast. Can you do that? Slow down fastly? I need to slow down very seriously, and I need to say, if he gave them to the church, I need to be real careful if I'm about to pronounce that they're no longer in the church. Because you put your hands on something that Jesus gave and you're taking it out, you better have good, solid ground to stand on. But you don't even have to really wonder too much because it said they were given for what? The purpose of building up the body of Christ. Now, let me just ask you a question. Does that need still exist? Of course it does. The body of Christ still needs to uh, be built up. And so if the need's still there, one might draw the conclusion that the means to meet that need would still be there. And especially, and I should have included in the notes, that same passage teaches that, that, that these offices are given in the church until we come to the full stature and the full maturity as the people of God. Now, I'm really impressed with each of you, but can anybody raise their hand and say, I am fully mature in Christ, I have no need of growth? course not. And we can't say that about any church or the church globally. So the need for which prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers, fivefold ministry, the need is still there. The timing has not been fulfilled. And yet I was taught with no scriptural basis that apostles and prophets no longer exist in the church. And so, you know, some 13, 14 years ago, I just started kind of raising my hand privately and saying, uh, why was I taught that? And why would I teach that? Because there's no scriptural ground to stand on. And so when we're thinking about this, here's a question. Where are the prophets in the church today? Now, you can go to some places, and prophets are easily discernible. They're functioning in the gift of prophecy that we're going to talk about in these two weeks. They have been recognized by the the church that they serve in. This This is a prophet given to our church functioning in the gifts, the abilities, and the office and the callings of a prophet. But over the, over the broad scope of the church, especially in the West, especially in 21st century America, because of the teaching that apostles and prophets in large segments of the church are no longer valid, we're missing these two offices. And so it began to occur to me years ago saying, I wonder since we've taken two of the five offices off the map and we're saying they don't exist anymore, I wonder if that has anything to do with the fact that the church is weak that the church is unholy, that the church is lukewarm, that large segments of the church are backslidden, that very few are engaged in the Great Commission, 
that churches are turning into machines and turning into businesses and turning into social clubs. I wonder if it's because we have removed the prophets and the apostles. You know, prophets, as you, as you study throughout Scripture, you're going to find that these are no-nonsense people. And you're going to see in just a few minutes, listen, prophets and prophetesses, if we want to use that word, male and female. Um, by the way, typically those of us that were taught that apostles and prophets don't exist, we're also taught that women can't prophesy if there were prophets. And so there was just a whole bunch of error that was taught. And, and I'm saying male or female, Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Try not to argue with your Bible. Are we in the last days? Has God begun to pour out his spirit since Pentecost? Absolutely. And yet we want to take out the pieces that don't jive with our denominational affiliation or our comfort zone and all of that. But when we recognize that there are prophets and when they are, are, are released into the body of Christ, they serve a function that pastors and teachers don't. They serve a function that the evangelists don't. They serve a function that God has given according to the gifting he gives, and we need prophets and prophetesses. We need them to speak into our lives. They are typically the people that will tarry and wait and get a word from the Lord, and then they will exercise that prophetic word to the building up of the body of Christ. And unfortunately, because of tradition, we've said, yeah, I don't think we need that anymore, and we have literally had the audacity as the people of God to remove a very important section, a uh, very important function in the body of Christ. And so you've got the Acts 13.1 that recognizes named prophets in the church of Antioch. You've got Ephesians 4 that teaches that Jesus Christ gave them. And so my advice to us is, if he gave them, let's be real careful not to take them away from the church. And then you've got in some named prophets right there in your New Testament. You, you've got John the Baptist. I call him the baptizer. That's actually the uh, the, the actual verb there. John the baptizer, he is named, of course, as a prophet. He was technically an Old Testament prophet who we find on the pages of the New Testament, but he is called the prophet by Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said there's never been a greater prophet. There was never a greater prophet born of a woman than John the Baptist, according to the Son of God. Then you've got a guy named Agabus in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 21. He's actually going to be very important in the study on the gift of prophecy as we move into next week. I'm not going to cover him tonight, but he is a named prophet in the New Testament. And you've got two guys named Judas and Silas. They're also named. Now, the only reason I'm covering this, and remember, this is teaching. This is not necessarily preaching, but I want you to see it's there in the Bible. It's there. It's not a vague thing. It's not an occasional thing. It's not some fringe reality. It's right there square in the Bible, both in the epistles and in the book of Acts and in the gospels. And so we need to recognize and honor the scripture that when we, and I say we, it may not be you and it's not me, but when we as the body of Christ come to a place where we allow our denominational traditions or the people that we love that taught us and they were so sincere and they taught all these other wonderful things, yet they got it wrong on this, we need to go and recapture what we forfeited. And so if denominations have forfeited the reality of the office and the gifting of the prophet, then it's incumbent upon our generation to say, if Jesus gave these guys and these women to the church, and we've lost our bearings with them, and we've forfeited our, our acknowledgement, and therefore cut ourselves off from their ministry, we need to go and reclaim what we forfeited. 
And so that's part of why we're teaching through this stuff. Is, and, and listen, I'll be bold with this. There may be some of you who are in the room tonight or some that are listening later. And as we go through this, you're going to say, oh, that sounds like things that happen in my heart. That, that's, I've never called that prophecy. I've never called that a word of knowledge. I've, I've, I've just called it, well, God laid it on my heart. Or I feel like the Lord is leading me to thus and thus. And we have all these different terms. But if we'll strip away the terms and get to the core of it, you may find out that God has stirred you with a gift of prophecy and he may be calling you to step out with that gift. And so the word is what encourages us and emboldens us. If if we find it in the word and it's acknowledged by especially the body of believers that we're doing life with and among those leaders, that's where some of your pastors and your elders would want to come in and affirm that gift in you and help you to know how to use it. This may be a wide open door for some of you. And I believe with all my heart, especially I'm looking at the young, young people when they're, they're in here tonight, I'm like, God, raise up some prophetic voices in their lives. Lord, let, let, let the prophets speak into their lives louder than TMZ or their Xbox or their Instagram or, or, you know, or their Snapchat ca- accounts. Lord, give some prophetic voice. Tell them there's hope. Tell them there's power. And so when we think through these things, I'm just laying a a long biblical foundation for those of us who may have been taught otherwise. Now, here we're going to get, and it, we'll finish up next week, but to the, the crux of the matter. What is the New Testament gift of prophecy? What is it? It's a spiritual gift. I mean, it is in the list of spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to those whom he will, 1 Corinthians 12. He gives those gifts, and in 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of prophecy is mentioned. It's mentioned again in chapter number 13, and in chapter number 14 of 1 Corinthians, it's unpacked. So we we have 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and Romans 12, 6. Let me talk to you about the New Testament gift of prophecy. Back to the outline. There were some who prophesied in the New Testament, but were not officially titled prophets. Philip's four daughters were said to have prophesied. Unnamed men and women at Corinth, both male and female. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, verses 4 and 5, they prophesied, men and women. Unnamed Christians in Rome, Romans 12, 5 and 6. And then you've got 12 fellows that uh, began to prophesy right after they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 19, verses 5 and six. And so now we're moving in more closely to the gift of prophecy. This is where there's the potential for confusion to enter in. So I'll take my time with it and I'll repeat a lot of this stuff. So if you'll keep listening, I think some of these puzzle pieces will fall into place. The, the, the office of a prophet naturally assumes the gift of prophecy. So if you have the office of a prophet in the church, and I don't know anybody in this room that has been bequeathed with that office or title, nobody here at Newbridge that I'm aware of has has that recognized office. That doesn't mean God hasn't called you and equipped you. We haven't had time to recognize it yet. I don't even think we've had the foundation to recognize it. So if you are um, occupying the office of a prophet, you're going to have the gift of prophecy at work. However, not everybody who has the gift of prophecy is going to occupy the office of a prophet. Let me explain. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, I believe verse number 11, I think that's right, it's not in your notes, Paul indicates that all Christians can prophesy. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 14, verse number 11. Let me just pull that up. No, it's actually verse 31. Let me pull that up real quick. We've got enough time. Let me read that. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 31. So Paul is giving instructions about how to exercise spiritual gifts at the church of Corinth. In verse 30, he says this, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, this is the gift of prophecy. Remember, revelation, interpretation, application. So if a a word, a prophetic word is given, verse 30, is made to another sitting there, let the first person who's prophesying be silent. Verse number 31, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. That's an important but subtle verse. Paul is writing to the entire church and he is teaching them that when the church is gathered, there needs to be an ordered expression and usefulness of the gifts. Not everybody was allowed to get up and give a word in tongues. And if they gave a word in tongues in the public gathering, Paul said it needs to be interpreted. And an interpreted tongue functions as a prophetic word. And so without getting lost in the the gift of tongues tonight, let me stick to prophecy. What he's saying is y'all don't prophesy all over one another. And apparently in Corinth, somebody stand up and they got a prophetic word. And as sometimes prophetic people do, they went on a little too long. And somebody else got tired and and just interrupted the prophetic word. And what Paul says is, if you're giving a prophetic word and somebody else stands up with a prophetic word, why don't you go ahead and sit down and let the second guy speak? And then he says this, you can all prophesy. You can all prophesy, do it one by one. And so in that benign little verse, what you find out is this, is that all of us have the ability to prophesy, not all will. But this is what I want to encourage you with. Paul begins to really push the church of Corinth away from tongues and towards prophecy. And there's a reason for that that we're going to get into in just a little bit. But the beauty of it is this. The very first verses we read tonight at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this. He tells them that he wants them all to pursue the gift of prophecy. Look back in 1 Corinthians 14.1. If you've got your Bible open, look there. He says, and it's a command, these are what we call imperatives. We are commanded by the Bible to obey these. Pursue love. Now, would anybody argue that we don't have to do that anymore? Of course not. Pursue love? Nobody's going to say, Jeff, that passed away at the end of the first century. We don't have to pursue love anymore. That's just not not binding on the church anymore. That was first century stuff. Nobody's going to say that. Everybody's going to say, no, of course, pursue love. It's commanded. It's clear. A few people might debate the second command there, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, friends, just let your Bible teach you. That's a command. The Bible commands me as an individual believer. This is the way I read it. Jeff Lyle, pursue love. Amen, Lord, I shall. Jeff Lyle, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Amen, Lord, I sure will. And then Jeff Lyle, especially desire the gift of prophecy. Especially desire that you may prophesy. Now, I've spent the majority of my Christian life ignoring, therefore disobeying that command in my Bible. Really, I ignored and disobeyed the first, uh, the last two of those three commands. Love was easy. Let's pursue love. Yeah, God, make me more loving. Lord, I want to love more. Help me love my wife. Help me love my kids. Help me love the people I pastor. And then you had this little awkward moment for a former Baptist preacher that said, hey, Jeff, pursue spiritual gifts. I will, Lord, the ones that are available now, because as you well know, Lord, some of those, as I've been taught, have passed off the scene. But I will pursue the one. I will pursue ruling and diligence, and I will pursue discernment and all of that. 
and that was, that was my poor teaching that was being rehearsed back in my heart. Let me, let me just ask you a question. This is a great moment for all of us. Are you pursuing spiritual gifts? Now, you may just say, Jeff, I don't even know how. I see it. It's a command. I got that. But I don't even know what that means. That's great. That's where I had to start. I had to start by recognizing there's a command in the Bible. I have no grid for that. I don't even know what that means. This is back in 1997 or 8. And I was like, I don't, I can read the words, but I don't have a clue. Somebody help me. And I didn't have anybody to help me. And so I had to really work through it. And then you get this one. And this was years after that. I was like, the Bible says if I'm going to pursue spiritual gifts, which I must, but the one to pursue the most is prophecy. And you know what, friends? Let's just go ahead and look in the mirror. That's the one we pursue the least. As, as it's general, people, and, and most of us have been, when you're in an environment where spiritual gifts are um, acknowledged, they're affirmed, and they're offered, what is the spiritual gift that people want you to get first and most? What is it? Tongues. You know, they want you to stand up, I bought a Honda, should have bought a Hyundai. You know, I mean, that, that's where they want you to go with that thing. And, and, you know, you tie my bow tie, untie my bow tie. And, you know, we're laughing, but that, that's the kind of stuff that goes straight for, well, listen, tongues is great. You know, I don't, I don't want to upset or offend or be controversial, but I believe for, for the most of us, the, the private use of tongues is an essential gift. It builds you up in your most holy faith. You know, the Apostle Jude said that. And so praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit um, privately, I think ought to be incorporated in all of our lives. We don't see a whole lot of the, the gift of tongue, the prophetic gift of tongues in the interpretation in our services. But I'm going to tell you, Paul said this. He said, yeah, I'd actually rather speak just a, a, a five words and my ten words in my own language than a thousand words in a tongue that's not interpreted. Paul didn't say it was a useless gift. He just said prophesying is better. But the question is why? Why is prophecy better or more important than the gift of tongues? Well, let's, let's go a, a little further uh, into this. Matter of fact, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm going to step away from my notes. I actually feel the Lord just leading in a little bit different direction here. Um, we're going to cover some more of this with notes next week, but I, I just want to hit this. All of the spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to believers for the purpose of building up others and glorifying God. That's why we are given spiritual gifts. They're not given to show off. They're given to utilize for the good of other people. And so as we are looking through the gifts, you'll find the gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12. You're going to find them in 1 Peter 4. And you're going to find them in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4. And you've got various lists of gifts there. But the one thing that we learn as we go through those lists is that we are encouraged to develop those gifts so that we can serve each other and glorify God. The underlying assumption is this. You may be educated, you may be articulate, you may be skilled, you may be strong, you may be informed. All of those things are good, but they are not good enough to fulfill the word of God, uh, will of God for your life. That you actually, you and I cannot adequately do the will of God in longevity without the power of God. And the power of God is released in our lives, from our lives, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we, we are all comfortable with saying... You know, somebody says, hey, man, you did a good job teaching that lesson. You did a, a great job comforting that hurting person. That was an amazing word of counsel that you gave. Or, you know, all the different ways that maybe gifts are employed. And we've been taught to humbly say, well, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. 
Well, let me just tell you, when you say that, know the theology behind it, because you're actually saying something that's true. In, in one sense, you yielded, God moved through you, but he does what he does through active gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the gift, uh, Paul contrasts tongues and prophecy, he says tongues builds up the individual expressing the tongues. He said, now if the tongue is interpreted, then it builds up the church. But an interpreted tongue is basically a prophetic word because the interpretation builds up the body. But private tongues, somebody praying at home in tongues, that builds that person up. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a really, really good thing. How many of you know it's good to build yourself up spiritually? But what Paul is saying, when the church gathers and you're over there in the corner and you're praying out loud in tongues and you're just building yourself up, the basic understanding is, yeah, go home and do that in private. But when you're among the guests, when you're among the body of Christ, then try to exercise a gift that helps others, not yourself. You get me? So the maturity in, in, in gifts is that I want to use my gift to help somebody else. Not to make myself look like super Christian, you know, the bionic believer. I, that's not what I want. I want to use my gift to help you. And you want to use your gift. So how does prophecy do that? Well, I'll spend the remainder of our time maybe just citing some examples here. So, um, Lord, help me with this. Let me choose. I have a, a several different examples uh, running through my head. I'm going to use this, and I'm going to use one from my wife's testimony. Most people don't know this. We don't advertise this, but Amy actually has a pretty uh, intense prophetic gift. And she rarely will grab a mic and do anything up here. I think one time in the 20 years we've been married has she ever given a public prophetic word. And a lot of the times I watch this active at home, it's uncanny. It used to scare me. I'm like, man how can she know stuff like that? How does she know what I'm thinking? How does she know what's going on in my heart? Husbands, it'll really make you get your act together when you're married to a prophetic woman, amen? So the, the, one of the times years ago, it was probably four or five years ago, uh, Amy was, on a Wednesday night, she was riding around the parking lot, and this was something she was doing at that time, and she would just pray um, over the services, over the church. Um, we were going through some challenges back then, so she was just praying in general. And so she'd drive around the parking lot for an hour, um, and she would pray. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to exclude names here because for privacy purposes, but one night she was driving, and this was kind of a, a new thing for her. As she's driving through the parking lot, she passes a minivan, just a minivan parked in a slot. And she was telling me this later. She said, Jeff, it was the weirdest thing. She was telling me that night. She said, as I was praying, I started going from praying to thanking God. She, she noted that even the inflection of her voice changed from petition to authority. And she said, Lord, and I thank you that you're going to give this van. And she named the couple. And she said she just kept driving and the kids were in the van. And she was like, what did I just say? That was just very strange. And yet it felt solid and right. And she began to piggyback that declaration, that prophetic word that came out of nowhere through her mouth. She began to piggyback it with prayer. So she declared it prophetically, not anticipating that she would do that. And then she began to cover it in prayer. Well, we got home and she relayed the story to me. And I didn't know what to do with it. I'm like... I knew the people, 
that owned the van. I knew the people that she said were going to get the van. But I'm thinking, you're a crazy woman. People don't just do that. And the phone rang. And it was the owner of the van. And he said, hey, Jeff, it's so-and-so. Listen, me and he named his wife, we're just sitting there talking tonight, and we feel very strongly that Lord wants us to give our van to, and he he named the couple. Now, I'm going to just ask you, do you believe more in Jesus or coincidence? What other explanation is there for such a precise word to come out of nowhere and This is what I told the guy. I didn't say, well, brother, let me just tell you, sign that van over now because my wife gave a prophetic word over that. And I just was like, okay, well, brother, you know what? You you do what you feel is right. I I think that's a generous idea. And, you know, I got off the phone and I looked at Amy. I said, (laughs) I scooted over on the bed a little bit. And I said, what manner of woman is this? You know, but it was so precise. It was so immediate. And listen, it was so without fanfare. Uh, Two nights later, She drove her vehicle. I got the keys to that vehicle that had been signed over. And we met the receiving couple at a restaurant. And we ate dinner with them. And we said, hey, can you come outside real quick? And as we walked to our van and they were behind us, I got to hold out the keys. Or I think Amy did. Amy may have held it out to the wife and said, there's your new van. They needed a new vehicle. They needed a new van. They had a baby and their life had changed. So friends, listen. All I'm doing is wrapping it up tonight because it's one thing to talk theology. It's one thing to teach about prophecy from a biblical perspective. It's another thing when simple people just start yielding to God, pursuing the gifts, and God starts saying, oh, you want good gifts to bless other people? Here you go. And that prophetic word that came to my wife ended up two days later to materialize, and that will stick with me forever. I've never told that story publicly as far as I know. And the reason why is I don't want to sensationalize the gift, but I want to tell you, Amy had not done that before, not on that level. And we don't expect that it's going to be on that level every time a prophetic word comes. But I want to tell you something. God wanted to train both me and my wife that this stuff is not just real because Jack Deere wrote a great book on it, but it's real because Jesus is doing it. And the prophetic word is given, the gift of prophecy. I'm going to wrap up right here. We'll pick back up next week. The gift of prophecy is given for the upbuilding, the edification, the encouragement, and the comfort of believers. In the Old Testament, it was typically the the predictive, authoritative, God chose the prophet, God gave him the message, and it was to the exclusion of all the other people. And, And that prophet would speak the word, and that was it. The New Testament is different. Because God, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit uh, ministered to people through visitation. But in the New Testament, he ministers by habitation. He doesn't visit us. He, he is inhabiting us. And so we don't have to wait for the Lord to come upon us. Friends, he's in you, and he brought all the gifts. And the Bible says, my Christian children, my, my own children, the believers in Jesus, if you will pursue spiritual gifts and pursue prophesy, I promise you this, you're going to prophesy. And it is incumbent upon myself and Dustin, our elders, and other leaders in this church to begin to facilitate the ability for all of us to grow in this gifts. 
Uh, it's not going to be a free-for-all. We're not going to have services where 50 people prophesy and just one after another on a Sunday morning. However, we do want opportunities to be cultivated in this church where we can get together maybe in smaller venues with people that want to grow in this gift and want to bless others with this gift or want to receive from others who possess and exercise this gift. So one of the things as we migrate into further into 2017, this is what I am going to prophesy. I'm going to prophesy that some of you sitting in this room who this is maybe the first time you've ever really considered this gift, by the end of the year, you're going to be prophesying. You're going to speak, speak into other lives for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. That God is going to train your ear to hear him. By the way, that's the key. You only speak what you hear him saying. And Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. They're going, and so here's the missing component. This is the hurdle that every Christian has to get over at some point. Do I dare risk it and say what I think the Lord is saying to me? What if it's wrong? What if I look like a fool? What, what if I get it wrong? Listen, revelation, interpretation, application. The first one is all on God. The second two require your faith. And I'm going to tell you something. Some of you have this gift already, but it's dormant. It's hibernating because you've never been called to use it. This is the generation where the prophetic word must go out, revealing, and we're going to see next week what the prophetic word does when it's effectively used in the presence of unbelievers. Paul literally describes it this way. They will fall on their face and they will glorify God. All because a Christian, man, I'm getting excited just thinking about it, amen. I feel like busting out in tongues right now. I just, I, when I, I'm telling you, man, I just get stirred in this thing. How much time do I got? Just one more story. Just one more. Yes. All right. This one is recent, and it won't mean as much to you because it can't compare with the one I told about Amy. Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, I'm in the prayer room, and I'm just getting downloads from the Lord. All these, and this doesn't happen to me all the time. All these little nuggets, prophetic, I call them like holy tweets. The Lord just kind of gives me a short sentence. I write it down and I marinate in it a little bit. But the one that I shared on Sunday morning, I didn't want to share. Do you remember kind of the weird word that I gave Sunday morning about Jesus and the king of the dance? Did, by the way, did you see the two people on the fourth row get up and walk out as soon as I started sharing it? It, it was uncomfortable for them. It was uncomfortable. They probably had said it was wild music. People jumping, shouting and swaying and dancing and they bared through that, and then I get up here and say, let me give you a prophetic word about Jesus being the king of the prom. You know, it was just a little too much. But the point being is I'm sitting on the front row, and I didn't want to do it. It was so visual to me in the prayer room. It was both, uh, it was in words, but it, I could see it. It was so pure and just, it was a little strange. And, and, and the, the word I was getting was that Jesus was on a dance floor and wanting to celebrate with his followers, but we were all on the sides like a bashful girl at a dance who doesn't want to dance with the king of the prom, doesn't feel worthy. And it was the, the word was about Jesus calling us all out. He doesn't want us to watch him dance with others. He wants to dance with us. And it was in the spirit of celebration and intimacy and closeness. It was pure. I didn't want to give that word. I was like, Lord, thank you for that. I'll keep that to myself. And he's like, no. And I was like, Lord, please don't make me do this. It's Sunday. Let me do this in staff meeting on Tuesday where it's safe. Because we always say weird stuff in that meeting. And so 
So I came up and I gave the word and scarcely a ripple. I think a few people encouraged, but I obeyed. I obeyed. That was all it was. Well, so Monday morning, I'm driving into work and I'm rehashing that moment. I'm saying, Father, what was that? Please, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to obey. I want to be operating in courage on these things. I even thought it was weird, Lord, and it made sense to me, but it was weird. Lord, and I, I just heard the Lord say, I will tell you why soon. It wasn't audible, but it was in my spirit. I knew the Lord was going to, he was telling me, you just wait, you'll understand later. And so typically when that happens, it means somebody comes up to me the next Sunday and says, you know what, man, that really encouraged me. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'll be like, okay, good. It blessed one person. Thank you, Lord. But it, it, it was so much better than that. Two hours after the Lord solidified in my heart that he would explain why that was a proper word to give, two hours later, an ecclesia teacher, uh, Robert Powers, who's a brilliant man, is teaching a class on the Holy Spirit at the same time the word came to me. And do you know what they were talking about? They were talking about the Holy Spirit, and they were, uh, he was given the etymology of the word choreography. Somebody in that class said, when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of a choreographer. And so they migrated into a little moment talking about Jesus and dancing. And so Robert texted me, he goes, hey, I just want to let you know, I want to encourage you, that word that you gave, we were talking about Jesus and dance up in our class at the same time. And, and what then Dustin told me, when I relayed that to Dustin, I was like, hey man, I want you to know, I'm your co-pastor, I'm not a weirdo, somebody actually got blessed by that prophetic word I gave. And Dustin said, I was in there and texting Robert as you were saying it, trying to encourage Robert that Jeff was affirming what Robert had taught in class. And so if it was for nobody else, here's the thing. The little guy that showed courage and the new teacher recognized, okay, God was blessing us. And so if nobody else got help, I got built up and Robert got built up. Now that may not mean much to you, but it helps me have courage next time I get a word from the Lord. The next time you get a word from the Lord, what you need is not a full understanding of what that means in the moment. What you need is courage and obedience. Share what God gives you to the upbuilding, to the encouragement, and to the comfort of the body of Christ. If you misinterpret the gift of prophecy to mean that you have the God-given right to get in somebody's grill every day and say, sinner, repent, that's not the gift of prophecy. That's probably a little bit of pride. That's probably a little bit of arrogance. That's probably a little bit of carnality in you because the New Testament gift of prophecy builds up, it edifies, encourages. That's the primary use of it.